Hi, I'm Joanne Murphy. Welcome to Try Talking Sport, the podium podcast for athletes, adventurers and endurance enthusiasts. Welcome to episode two of Try Talking Sport. Today I'm joined on the show by Ray O'Connor, runner, race director and trailblazer. Ray is an avid runner and ultra-distance enthusiast with 169 marathons under his belt to date. He has completed a host of marathon and ultra-running events. His running CV includes the Marathon de Sable and its sister event in Peru. He has already this year taken part in two 24-hour running events covering over 100 miles in each event, to name just a few of his running endeavours. Ray is not only a runner, he is also the founder of Marathon Club Ireland and also runireland.com. He is race director to a number of running events, including Run Galway Bay, Forest Marathon, Connemar 100 Mile, and has the license to deliver Tough Mudder Ireland. We'll get a flavour of his passion for running and events in this episode. Ray O'Connor, welcome to the show. Delighted you are here to share some of your running wisdom with us. Well, it's great to be here too. Nice to see you too, Joanne. <laughs> Make the change from uh, seeing you on a, a finish line or me on a start line. Sitting across a different type of desk, eh? <laughs> yeah, nice, nice. Um, Ray, we're going to get stuck into the interview today. But before we look at some of your running achievements, some of which I've mentioned in the intro, bring us back to your first ever time in London trying to go sub five hours on the marathon. Wow, that goes back a few years, all right. Um, back to 2000. One, I think it was. I did the London Marathon. Look, your intro was a bit um, building me up as to be this big, brilliant runner and all that. But like the truth is, come on, I'm a, I'm just a very, very regular guy. I always was. And back in 2000, you know, I was uh, smoking 30 fags a day and um, very, very unhealthy and decided I want to do something to change things up. So I decided to run a marathon. Easy enough, I thought. And a couple of... Uh, um, twists and turns down that story but I ended up doing doing the the New York Marathon and then I decided I'd do another one which is the London Marathon um, was going to be my second one and in New York I, f- I finished New York in 5 hours and 15 minutes I thought was, you know this was really 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 good for me to have run a, a marathon I was wondering is there any way I could break 5 hours so I looked to the London Marathon and thought hmm let's up the train in a little bit and go for 5 hours in London and uh so I, you know, I had prepared a bit better. Uh, went to the start line, full of anticipation and nervousness, as you as you usually do. But this was a little bit more, I suppose, pressure on me because I was looking at the clock, and I remember coming down the mall, and the mall in London, the London Marathon finishing line is just the most spectacular finishing line in the world. Um, and you have Buckingham Palace behind you. You're on the mall. It's a huge, huge, big finish and a big gantry and all the bells and whistles and. Um, I came down the mall and as soon as I went on the finish line I looked at my watch and it was 4 hours 59 minutes and I just couldn't believe that I had achieved that I was actually welling up I was actually I thought I thought I was a super I thought I was a rock star there were very few people around at this stage because most people had finished gone home showered and whatever but anyway I um, I came onto the line and I was absolutely delighted punching the air really really proud of my achievement welling up um, and as I was walking away from the finish line I got, got my medal and I was looking at it you know really emotional and next thing the announcer who all the announcers and all the resident has announced and here we have the first of our wombles and I looked around and there was a big eight foot womble and he had to actually duck down to get under the 
<laughs> under the gantry. And it kind of took the edge off the um, off the sub five hours. But look, hey, I did it and I, I was happy. And, you know, I, I don't think the Womble broke five hours. I think he came in around 5.01, but he was eight foot and he had a, a, a lot more to carry than I had. But, you know, it, it propelled me a, a little bit and I decided, well, if a Womble can come in and nearly beat me, I think I should push on another bit, a little bit. You know, I saw myself as a runner. You know, there's loads of walkers out there that will do, you know, anything from seven, eight hours, you know, right up to five hours. I, I You know, again, I would have been beaten by many walkers that day as well. But I saw myself as a runner and I want to push on another bit and, you know, see what I want to achieve. So I guess the Womble pushed me on to, to look to see what what could I achieve next? You know, could I... Could I go a bit faster or further or what, you know, what's next around the corner? And that's really where my story began in 2001. So 2001, we're now in 2019. So you're, you're gone through your teenage years and everything as well, the terrible twos and threes and the teenage years. So 18 years of running, really, a little bit more than that. Um, but what was it about crossing the finish line in London that actually fueled the passion for running? Because I know that wasn't your first marathon. You've mentioned New York and that. But like, what, what was it? Was it there and then that you decided, actually, I have so much more in me and I can do this? Or was it just the fact that you had completed the marathon, set yourself a goal and done it? Well, exactly what you said there. You know, it was you know when the, my first time ever doing anything in sport or running where I set a goal and I achieved it. You know, sub five hours is fantastic for anybody to do, and for me it was a little bit more special because I had a I had a journey to get to that point, and I thought to myself, right, well if if I have that goal, what does sub four hours mean? You know, and how far away is that? And as I say, like I'm not a, I was never a good runner, and you know, the marathon was something that I I, I suppose I always wanted to do through my life. Here I had achieved something in the marathon. And maybe if I could push on, maybe I could achieve something more. I'm not sure I ever believed that I could run sub four. You know, sub four hours is you're fairly tipping away there. You're doing nine minute miles. It's, you know, it's not, it's it's not an easy thing. And I suppose coming from where I came from as well, uh, it's not an easy thing. But I did push on, and I suppose coming away from the London Marathon finish line, I left that old life behind, and I, you know, sought something much more exciting, and didn't take an awful lot long really to get into the buzz and start training properly and to to figure it all out and I think it was about a year later um, a little under a year later I did break four and that was in the Chicago Marathon uh, I think I did 3.57 or something like that and then I was really a rock star <laughs> <laughs> You were always a rock star really you just hadn't unleashed it But you know you know, for me then I actually felt that I was a runner you know I was able to run sub four marathon and that, that was really nice being, you know look anybody that doesn't know mar- in, you know marathon times the world record at the moment is something like 201 two hours in a minute like you know the, the Kenyans the Ethiopians that, that's what they do and I remember explaining that to somebody and they couldn't get their head around that like so like it's taking you two hours more than these guys to do you know so it's just I suppose for people that don't understand the times it's a, it's a bit distant you know that you're so far away from what the, the elites can do but for me in my world you know, I'm a mid-pack runner. I, I was always a mid-pack runner. And a mid-pack runner in a marathon is kind of four, four, four hours, 4.30. And I was absolutely thrilled to be, you know, up there, to be a mid-pack. You know, that was, that so was, what that was, was nice. your fastest marathon? Well, I suppose I, I, I pushed on a lot after after London, after Chicago, after those early days, five, six marathons. I had this thought, I was maybe 32, 33 at the time. I did my first marathon when I was 30. And I thought that... Um, I wonder would I be able to do 10 marathons by the time I was 40. That was the 
that was the goal back then. And here I had done maybe three in a year, four, maybe three or four or five in two years. And I was thinking if I push on, I could actually achieve this mini goal of doing 10 by the time I'm 40. And look, one thing led to another, you just start doing marathons and, they, you know, it becomes a thing. And next thing you're doing five a year, and next thing you're doing 10 a year. And before I knew it, I had, by the time I was uh, 40, I had, I think I had nearly 100 done. So it just, wow. it just it just kind of crept up. So going from wanting to do 10 to to having, you know, achieved all that, I suppose so, that was pretty good. So where does Marathon Club Ireland come in? Because you were a founding member of Marathon Club Ireland and anyone who's done a marathon can join the club. So where did that idea come about? Well, I suppose, again, going back to the early days in the early 2000s, um, it was very hard to get a marathon. Uh, you know, you couldn't you couldn't just you know rock up at your local marathon because there was no such thing in in Ireland back in two thousand and one. I think there was only two marathons. It was the Belfast Marathon, the Dublin Marathon. So like you only had the opportunity of doing two marathons in Ireland in a year. Um, and myself and other people that I had met through, you know, going away on trips or doing the doing the Edinburgh Marathon or the London Marathon or whatever, they um, they uh, we we got obviously very friendly and we get to know each other and then I decided one day you know I think it was around 2008 we said well, why don't we just organise a marathon in Galway and we just, let's just meet out at the prom and as you do as we do I got a friend of mine to measure the course um, and we ran out the prom out along the coast 13.1 miles uh, had a water station out there and we ran back and I put this out there as a notion that you know being the tribes of Galway look, I'm going to do 14 of these in Galway. And I, I put it up on runireland.com and I was amazed about 60 or 70 individuals came out of the woodwork. And the rules that we had set uh, at the time followed the UK Marathon Club, which meant that you had to have five starters and three finishers. So I didn't know whether I'd be able to get five starters for 14 events over the course of a year. You know, this is this was brand new. Like this, at this stage, there was probably eight or nine marathons in Ireland, but this was a brand new concept. Um... But we we got five starters and three finishers for all fourteen races that year, um, and there was a few scares along the way. You know, there was a few there was a few frosty mornings where myself and three others were standing waiting for a car to pull up, and <laughs> full car, of other runners, and with five minutes to go, like a car would pull up, and we'd right, we've we've made it, and and off we go, and we we'd run our marathon, and we'd go into the Galway Bay Hotel for soup and sandwiches afterwards, and we became great friends. We'd started doing this, you know, on a, on on a more regular basis. And then um, in around 2009, 2010, somebody said, you know, we should really have our own club because at this stage there was, there wasn't just five turning up to the races, there was 50, you know, and it just became a phenomenon. And next thing we were getting buses and we were going out to Connemara and we were going to different places. We were meeting in different random places and, you know, hands were popping up saying, hey, I, there's a marathon course around my neighbourhood over in Kildare or wherever. And we'd get it measured and next thing we'd all turn up at this guy's house and we'd we'd run a marathon over there. Like they're all official and they're all recognised and the proper proper run events. Um that's that's just how it started. And we started the club. Um we I suppose we copied the um the UK club to see, you know, how they did it and how they were structured and what their rules were and how they how they recognised marathons and whatever. Uh we set it up in basically the same way. The only change was in the UK they had a rule that once you did 50 marathons, you could join their club. But you'd only be called a wannabe because they were geared up for people to do in the 100. And I thought that was a little bit unfair to anybody that has done a marathon, which is a fantastic thing to do. So I put the rule in that you had to do one marathon to join the club. 
and then you get a medal for 25, a medal for 50, a medal for 75 and a medal for 100. Some people come along, they join the club, they do 25, they're happy, they go away with the medal and then we'll never see them again. That's fine. But there's a huge amount of people in Ireland that have done 100. And there's a lot more, have done a lot more than 100. And we'll talk about one of those people later on in the show. Um, But Ray, you personally, um, do you prefer the big iconic events like New York, Chicago, Berlin, London? Or do you prefer the events that are literally just rock up out of the car? No big real finish line, no big pizzazz. I know you're involved in the delivery of a number of events, but you personally, what what do you prefer? Well, you know, the, the two of them are obviously poles apart. And, you know, when you're talking about a club run that's organised, a club 10K or, or a, a commercial 10K, and, and if you look at how they're, how they're different and they, they give the participant a different experience, you know, the big commercial events, you have all the razzmatazz, the music, you know, the big finishing, uh, all the big facilities, and then the smaller club events, which, which I like to call, and I say this fondly, the Mary Makes the Tea events, because Mary will make the tea and somebody else will, will make the buns and there's a spread there. And, like, the... There's something really quaint and lovely about that and, you know, long, long may continue. Personally, I love to get out there and look at the big city events because I'm looking at the race organisation and I'm kind of getting into event management mode, um, race director mode, looking to see how how, how how the crowd control works and all that sort of thing. So I'm looking at these things from a completely different um, sphere um, and I suppose that's because through organising these smaller races and, you know, going back to the early years when there was very few marathons in Ireland, I decided I'd organise a few races myself. So I've always been really, really interested in event management and that that type of things. Um, and going way back, I suppose, uh, the Connemara Marathon back in I think it was two thousand and two. I came up with this idea, and this was this was the most probably the most random thing I think I've ever done in my life, where I decided to run a marathon in Connemara, and um, obviously wanted to make it a bit of a bit of a thing it's a long way to go with five people so I decided I might as well put it out there and try and try and market it a bit or whatever um, and I put it out there and interestingly look the journey and to find the course and all that was is, is probably for another day but on the big day the very first kind of marathon there was 12 people on the starting line 12 people on the marathon starting line and there was 60 it was more than your five that you needed for the other races exactly, so it was a bonus yeah. and there was 60 on the start line for the for the half um, and that was something extraordinarily special I mean what happened that day was was amazing there was like the the, the landscape out there lends itself to people binding and, and bonding and you know there was an awful lot of uh, camaraderie and, and I know quite a few of the guys that started on the starting line with me that day I didn't know them at the time but two or three of them have become my best friends and like we've we just had this special moment that you know we were the first people to, to do this iconic race which became an iconic race I didn't I didn't think it would um, and remember at the time um, with 72 people on the starting line I had this vision for the event that you know this we could market this internationally and maybe maybe get a few overseas runners to, to this place and I went to Falch Ireland you know kind of cap in hand saying you know I have this great idea they probably thought I was nuts but I said to them that you know if we market this event really really carefully the two of us you know me and, and, and them um, give me a few quid that um you know, we could have 450 people running this event in five years. And they were saying, yeah, now come on, like, that's a, that's a bit ambitious. That's like, a lot know. of buses leaving Galway Cathedral on the Saturday morning or Sunday morning of race day. That's an awful lot of buses, but they, they couldn't get the concept. But in fairness, they believed in what I was saying and they believed in me, I suppose, and they backed it. 
And while my five-year plan was 450 people in five years, what actually happened was six months later with 650 people on the starting line. Um, and off that 650, there was about 250 from overseas. So it just became a, ph- a phenomenon. It wasn't fluke. Now, there was a there was a fair bit of marketing pizzazz going on in the background there. But um, that event grew from 650, 1250, 1750, 2,500 and 3,000. That was the growth of the event um, and a complete sellout. Um, and what was it about it? You know, we're talking about big city events versus Mary Makes the Tea event. This had both, you know, this had the big city feel as in uh, people knew that they were part of a really really big event but there was a real sense when you got back to Peacocks that there was Mary was in the back making you the tea you were at the mart we were at the mart and we were in the back and there was a real sense of crack about that and you know really, it was it was actually funny you know Yeah. and, and people were laughing at the whole notion I remember I remember um, one guy he was being interviewed on, on RT News and um they asked him why you, know, they, they, you could tell the interviewer couldn't understand this whole crack like why is there so many people out here in the middle of Connemara and this guy from London he said that there's something very very strange about being driven out into the middle of nowhere and when the buses leave you only have one way to get back uphill and he, he, he actually nailed it that day he said you know he said he, he, he actually got the whole essence of that event was as soon as the buses left from the starting end you know you're 26 miles away from the finish or 13 whichever you're doing the after fall and next thing you'd look at the stranger beside you and you realise we're in this together. And then the bond started and, you know, it was man against landscape. You know, and we come on, we can take this on. And lifelong friendships were made through that bonding experience. Um, and then I drove that even further because I had this thing where, I don't know how I really grasped this notion, but if I was seen as the race director and I put a, a personality behind this whole thing, that I could connect with the participant at the finishing line. That would that would actually add an extra um, shine to the whole thing. So I would try my very, very best to be at the finish line and shake hands or hug or whatever, all the finishers. And they kind of got a real sense of um, emotion with this as well, that like this, this guy, he's attached to the race, Ray O'Connor, Connemara Marathon, and he's at the finish for me. So now I'm no longer just one of 3,000. It's me and him. And we had this connection. So there's all these emotional connections and people used to burst into tears at the finish line and just just the emotion just poured out so it was all that going on um, and an awful lot of it wasn't orchestrated it just happened but you know it was, it was very very special I think as well the fact that it's so isolated out in Connemara that you know in any of the races that you would do generally that would be at the same level and size of, of Connemara at the time you would have had the streets filled with spectators but literally you had sheep the odd car and you had your fellow runners like that that was all you had to motivate you so there was really a sense of camaraderie and we are in this together and the only way is to, to run towards the finish line Yeah and you're right I mean that that is the beauty of of those type of events as well. When the when when you get the when you get the mix just right, and and speaking about the sheep is uh, quite a funny story. Um, I used to bring Kenyans to to run the so now okay. Picture the silliness of this, right? There's two or three thousand people in Connemara. And next thing you have the Kenyans out front, and like they're hearing away from everybody else and gone. But they were they were very very impressive people, very impressive runners, um, and like they were running probably you know, 2.15 or 2.16 for the marathon, which is good out there with the hills. Um, but I remember one of the Kenyans one time, Charles Giplegat, he was at the finish line and they have very good English. Um, and he was looking up in the mountains and the two of us were standing there just kind of quiet. And next thing he asked me, what eats the sheeps? And I said, 
I said, sorry, sorry, Charles. And he was looking, he was, you know, panning across the mountains. He said, what eats the sheeps? And then I realised that he, what he was saying is that in Kenya, these, these sheeps wouldn't last two minutes. <laughs> so it took me a few minutes to, to kind of get, OK, I guess what you think. I said, we eats the sheeps. <laughs> we eats the sheeps is right. Sunday lunch. Um, sorry to all of our vegan listeners. I do apologise for that uh, little piece of, of fun there over the poor sheeps. Um, you mentioned Run Ireland there, actually, Ray, and I just want to come back and talk about that very briefly before we look at some of your own more uh, running endeavours again, because runireland.com was born out of the work around the Connemara National Marathon. Yeah, um, again, I suppose it was a, an interesting story of uh, orchestrated fluke. Um, the Connemara uh, Connemar Marathon, as it was growing, um, the international appeal was growing. I mean, uh, we were talking about bringing in maybe 13, 1400 overseas every year. And that, that is huge, you know, when you're dealing with 30 or 40 different countries, different nationalities. How do they actually register? Back in 2004 and 2005, there was no online registration. So I had to figure out a way to allow people. Like, I was getting foreign notes that I wouldn't even know the country in an envelope for their entry fee. I'd, like, it was ridiculous. I w- I'd have currencies from all over the world landing in my post box. I mean, I know we're going back a bit when people actually trust a post of money, but that's what happened in uh, 2004. Um, so I developed a, a system um, online where people could actually register their place and book through WorldPay and set it all up. And this was completely unique. It was fantastic. It worked well for me. And um, everybody was happy. And I remember a, a friend of mine had a, a small local race here in Galway. And he said to me, you know that online thing that you're doing there, is there any way I could use it? I said, yeah, yeah, no problem. I said, I'll, you can use the system and I'll keep 7%. That was the, that was the deal. I don't know where I came up with this. but I just Seems to be the industry standard at the moment, right? Well, so you definitely were a trailblazer. Maybe, maybe I said it, but um, I, I came up with this figure and the way I said, I suppose the way I came up with it was WorldPay were taking 2% and I'll keep 5% just to manage the database and make sure all the thing. So he was delighted um, and I was happy. And next thing, the word spread that this thing was going on. So, um, a few other races decided they'd join in on the fun and then we we realised that if I set up a website around all these races that we could help market them so we did that uh, we built a website through our marketing company Proactive and what we found then is these races were um, trading with each other they were they were sharing stories they were sharing um, uh, information and there were you know there was a lot of um, uh, kind of correspondence going on with them and then we were able to push notifications out to our databases about events and things that were happening people would sign up on the website and we'd be able to stick out the newsletters and whatever so they, anybody that was on this website runerland.com was selling out basically because there was information out there and they were first to market um, and so I mean just a friend of mine Seb Lockto came on board with me and he drove the hell out of that business for two or three years and before we knew it, we had 160 people or 160 races transacting all their entries through Run Ireland. It just became another uh, fantastic vehicle for people to, have to be able to market their races and, you know, that's it's still mm-hmm. there to this day. It's still Ireland's biggest running website. So. And of course, you've managed to get the family involved as well, even though not one of them have run a marathon or a race in their lives, I'd say. But Alex now works on your digital and uh, comms team with Proactive. And then Alex is, or sorry, Alex is in the Proactive. And then Adam is head of Ireland and the UK for Nuco, the, the online platform that now works with Run Ireland. Yeah, and I suppose that's interesting that like Adam has become um, an industry leader in marketing sports events. Um, 
how did that happen? And like I'm sitting here, Adam is 28 now and I'm sitting here thinking, how did that happen? And I mean, it's so obvious if anybody has listened to this story and said, well, you know, if you have a, if you have a uh, son who was, who was um, 11 years of age when we did the first Connemara Marathon and he was so involved in that that when we were measuring the course he was um, putting markers on, on poles to so that I, when I go back I'd know where the mar- markers the miles um, were marked and when we were doing the very last marker near Mam Cross he fell into a bog hole up to, up to his waist right and he was absolutely destroyed he's going to kill stinking. you for telling the story he was he was stinking he was destroyed and instead of an 11 year old getting really <laughs> upset he just couldn't stop laughing as I was dragging him out of this bog hole in, um, in Mam Cross and what was worse then was the poor kid he had no change clothes obviously right but we were going into the um into one of the pubs in Uktarard for soup and sandwiches with the guys that were measuring the course because they come from Dublin and blah 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 and like Adam he, he had to take off his trousers obviously so we wrapped his jacket around him and brought him into the boat in in Uktarard for his, his soup and sandwiches and he was sitting in the corner and the two of us were just getting laughing so when when you see a kid like that that has grown up with that sort of experience he's seen course management he's seen all the event management he's worked at all the events and like, it is no surprise that when he came on board after his leaving cert he started working with Proactive started working with Run Ireland as customer service got headhunted over to the UK and now he's working as the head of UK and Ireland for uh, NUCO which is a French online registration company it's a fantastic story and it's, it's great to see him developing and moving on where did it come from? Well, maybe I don't know. Maybe that was his womble moment. Maybe that was his womble his moment. His womble moment. Yeah. I, I want to come back and talk not about the womble, but I want to come back and talk about your own story about running because we've covered quite a lot from from run from run Ireland and, and Connemara. And I know you're race director for um, Rungoy Bay, and you also have the license for um, for Tough Mudder. And we'll talk more about the Connemara 100 as well because I think that's a, a fantastic story. But what is it about running that you enjoy, Rave? What is it that makes you want to put on your gear on a wet day like it is outside? today the day we're recording here in Galway Bay FM um, what is it that makes you want to put on those runners and go outside um, I could be um, flippant and say complete and utter vanity <laughs> um, there's a really nice thing to be able to say you run a marathon you know it's a nice notch on the belt it's a nice, it's a nice thing to be, and that's why I say vanity I, I'm, I am only slagging there but, um, but it is a nice thing to be able to say um, if you want to do a marathon and you get the bug and you like that feeling, then you want to do more. If you want to do more, you have to train. And I've, I've seen the highs and lows of training, not training, and the effects of how the effects that that can have on you. Um, so the motivation to train is to be able to, be able to keep going, be able to keep going at a, a probably higher level than your average person, because I'm only a little bit higher than average, I would say. Um, and so the you know the rainy days when you're out there. I suppose you just have to understand and try and focus on that's the goal and what what is the goal? You know, a lot of us go out and we run without really having a a goal event to do or without having a goal for what you're going to do this week. And that's where you start. If you don't have that focus of a goal, you'll lose focus. And if you don't have focus, there's no point in really going out and running. You know what I mean? It's a a kind of a spiral. And this isn't a big business um, set goals talk. This is real. This is like... You know, there's no point really in going running up and down the prom randomly three or four times a week. Great if you're doing that, but, you know, you really like to set yourself a goal and maybe do a 5K, maybe do a 10K. And I'm not saying the marathon is the ultimate. There's so many other things you can be doing, you know, with triathlon, cycling, swimming. There's so, there's so many things out there. It doesn't really matter. But I do believe that people do better and have more meaning in their lives if they have a goal 
and if they can it has to be a realistic goal too not some of the crazy stuff that I've come up with over the years but if it is a realistic goal I think that's I think it's really really important and do you enjoy running do you enjoy the physical elements of running because I know that the first five or six minutes the hardest bit is actually putting on your gear no matter what you're going to do and when you're really busy and you're tearing around doing stuff the last thing you want to do some days is actually put on your gear so what what is it about actually running that you like because I know I've tried to get you on a bicycle as part of our crew for the race around Ireland um, for the Galway Beebs never happen never going to happen and you'd probably drown if we put you in a pool to do a, a triathlon so like what is it about running specifically that you love is but it the freedom I, I often hear people talking about oh running is great and you know you have all this um, the lovely things it does for you. running is it, it can be hard you know and that's why I think the goal is probably more important than the actual running or the you know the activity of, of getting there it's really focusing on the goal and let that be the enjoyment let the goal be the enjoyment um, I don't I, I enjoy running when I'm fit Right. Is that the vanity coming back out again? This is the vanity coming out. Um, no, I enjoy running when you're fit. And I've actually said this in the past that, you know, there's only a few times in our lives, if you think about it, and this goes for anybody, this goes for elites down to the very, very beginners. There's only a very few times in your life that you can actually hand on heart say, you know what, I think I'm actually fit. You know, because we don't ever admit that we're fit because we never think that we're at the best. When you're going well, you're looking for more. When you're when you're knocking out eight minute miles, you're looking for seven fifties. You know, there's always a there's always a thing that it's human nature. We just want to get better. And I suppose as I'm getting older and I've done so many, I get to understand that um, that point in time where you are actually fit is so precious. You should really, really keep it and, tre- and, and cherish it. So if that is a goal, if it's just to find that you know elusive moment where you can can say well I think I'm fit well that's that's brilliant you know that's again going back to the goal setting that can be a goal in itself In terms of um, I suppose anybody that's listening that's kind of thinking jeepers I could never do a marathon or maybe I've done five marathons I mean most people they'll do one they'll say grand bucket list they might do two yeah sure no problem they might go five they might go for the marathon majors but you've 169 of them done and not all of them were just the straight out 26.2 miles I mean you've ultras and endurance race and everything and multiple day events but to somebody who wants to take up um, you know running at the scale that you're at um, in terms of the distances and the multiple numbers of events that you do or even wants to go and do something like the Marathon de Saab, what sort of advice would you give them starting out? I mean, would they join a club? Would they do bits on their own? Should they get a coach? What are the things that they should look out for? Well, uh, you know, if you uh, look at me for just for a minute, right? Um, when I was 30, as I said earlier, smoking 30 fags a day, really unfit, I decided I was going to do the, the New York Marathon. Um, give up the fags which I did thank God um, but my very first run was I brought the kids with me to a, a place in Galway called Dangan where there was a 400 metre track and I decided I was going to run a mile now when I was a kid I could run a mile no problem um, so I thought this would be great now and I had visions of myself coming down the, the finishing um, straight down the last 100 metres with my kids there cheering me on as I crossed the finish line having done my first mile and I actually limped off the track haven't done two and a half laps and I just couldn't literally put one foot in front of the other anymore so that's literally where I came from and that's why I keep saying you know humble humble beginnings here now right? um, and I suppose anybody that's starting out should take heart from that that it is quite you know you have to start off so 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 slowly and realise that one lap of the dangan is one lap of the track one lap, you know that's that's all you need to start 
Um, and then you just start adding to it, adding to it. Not everybody is going to get on to do 100 and whatever marathons. And that's, you know, that's, that's just my bag. It's just my number. You know, uh, you know it's, it's, it's fine for anybody to do whatever they want to do. Just, just get out there and do it. All this crack about coaches and nutrition advice and all that. Look, that's all for people that are kind of getting down under the four hours at 3.30. It's not for everybody. And, you know, absolutely watch Operation Transformation. You know, watch what Frank really is doing with the with the, the mile a day and, you know, all, all of those initiatives. I love watching Operation Transformation, by the way. And the advice that they're getting on it is really, really, really good. Just follow them. You know, just do do what they're doing, and you see these guys out on the in the park, and they're, you know, huffing and puffing. Look at the park runs that are going on. Just go out and do it. You know, there's nothing stopping you going out to your local park and walking five k if that's what you want to do. It's a bit of crack. Get out and do it. It's a bit of crack. Get out and do it. Says the man who set up probably one of the most difficult races in Ireland in one of the most isolated places in the country and even on a sunny day it's tough down by um, Tully Cross and Tully Lake and race director of Connemara 100 mile which takes place um, it's the second weekend in August from what I can remember um, a bucket list for so many runners you limit the number of, of participants to between 35 and 40 every year there's plenty of inspiration as to why you set that event up back down to, you know, let's bring a group of people out and, and run, see if we can run 100 miles. But you've run it yourself a couple of times and I know you're planning to go back out again this year. Why, oh why, <laughs> would you put yourself through the torture of running it again, Ray? Okay, well, the Connemara 100 is another one of these kind of nice, nice stories, I think, because when I had kind of, when I was up around 30 marathons, I had heard about this thing of, 10 marathons in 10 days and I kind of saw that as being a, a nice goal for myself you know I've done 30 marathons I could do could I do 10 marathons in 10 days so I started training and went about that and through my marathon series that I was doing the, the Galway marathon series I decided one weekend I'd organise three marathons and one on Friday evening one on Saturday and one on Sunday and just see what happens see if we can do it so I did that and you know, that was fine and a few people joined me on the three and three. It was the first time we had anything like that I'd ever done in Ireland. It was great, great fun. Um, so I'd done the training for this thing, signed up for it, and it was, it was, it was looming. And um, this was in 2008. So I was coming to the starting line of this 10 marathon 10 days. So I knew I could do three. I thought I could do five. Six was going to be a bit of a push. Seven was going to be my absolute nightmare because I thought once I got to eight, I'd be looking at nine and then ten in the finish, so I'd get through them. So seven was my my focal point. So I went out to Windermere in the UK, 2008, ten marathons in ten days, got through the five, got through the six. And on day seven, I decided uh, I'd change things up a little bit, really, really focused. Everybody around me said I was really quiet that day. I didn't say anything at breakfast, didn't talk to anybody, put on headphones the first time, and I went out and I ran a PB. On so day seven. On day seven of the ten, which was three hours twenty six minutes, which fairly good for this that that sort of a, an event I thought, um, and it was just interesting that I focused on that on that on that moment when I finished the ten and ten, which is um, my first big thing to do. I thought, well, what's the next big thing? Because you know you're always looking for the next big thing, next big thing, next big thing. Uh, and somebody said to me, you "Ever think of doing the marathon to Saab?" I said, "What's that?" Oh, it's one of the most extreme races on earth. It's across the Sahara Desert. Uh, seven days have sufficient to have blah, blah, blah. 
so I did flippantly that. says blah blah blah. Yeah, so I did that anyway, and I'm not being flippant. It was bloody tough. <laughs> <laughs> so tough that you went back and did the sister event but in Peru last year, wasn't it? Exactly, or I did that before. last year. Was it last year? The year before? It was, it was the year last before. Year. Yeah. So 2010, I did the marathon to Sab and. Sorry, there's an end to the story. Oh, is there? I was just waiting for it. Yeah, sorry. You're rambling there. Right? I'm rambling. But um, at the finish of the Marathon of Sabah, we were walking around this random village in Morocco. I couldn't even tell you where it was. And um, we were walking down the street, delighted with our rock star T-shirts. And we had man- finished the um, Marathon of Sabah. And this guy put his hand on my shoulder and said, Jeez, look at that guy. I said, what, what, what? He said, he's wearing a Badwater t-shirt. I said, what the hell's Badwater? <laughs> and he said, that's really the toughest um, foot race on earth. And I said, oh God, there's worse. What's that? So I was looking into this thing. And uh, Badwater is an event that takes place every year in Death Valley, hottest place on earth, and it's 135 miles. Um, and that is truly the toughest. <laughs> there's probably worse out there, but Badwater was the thing. So I looked up the criteria for Badwater and it said, in order to qualify, just to apply, you have to qualify to apply. You have to have run three 100-mile races. Now, I had never even heard of a 100-mile race, not to mind, thought of running one. And I was talking to a friend of mine, Mick Rice, one day, and I was saying, I have to go looking for 100-milers to do this thing. <laughs> and he was laughing at me. He said, should you just organise your own? I said, oh, yeah, OK. Should we do it out in Connemara? So, so we measured the course, 100 miles, and... Long, long story longer anyway we um, we set up the Connemara 100 as a kind of a nobody really knows this as a kind of a tribute to my quest to do to qualify for Badwater and uh, that was 2010 we're 2019 and I still haven't <laughs> you still haven't qualified um, but you've done lots in between but I, I want to come back to actually last year during that race Ray because I met you twice on the course I went out and I drove out to Mam Cross and then I cycled out towards Tully Cross and I met all the runners on the course it was absolutely amazing because we talked about Connemara the, the, the international event um, the, the marathon half marathon ultra being isolated but this is further out again this is wide open landscape there are no mountains around to protect you from the from the wind and the rain and the, even the heat but I met you on the road uh, from Tully Cross and, and you spoke to me and you were in a really bad way like you know I was worried about you actually out on the course and then about an hour later as I was coming back out I met your support crew and I cycled along with them as they drove behind you and I chat with you for about three minutes and you do not remember meeting me I mean how do you what, what's going through your head when you're you were only probably at mile was it 30 or 35 at that stage but you were I was worried about whether you'd be able to complete it yes you did complete it and you did it within the target that you'd set yourself but how how do you come back from or what happened to you that day that you do not recall me meeting you an hour previous to when we had our great chat for three minutes sorry the three minutes chat you did not remember having yeah it's an interesting one and that was that was this year um, last year sorry and um, I was you know I I had I had a target set that I wanted to do it in under 24 hours which is a nice a nice thing to do um, you know, 100 miles in 24 hours is, is, is okay for, for an average runner. You know, it's, it's decent. So the weather was particularly oh, bad as well. And I I just had demons. And for some reason, I had done the training. I had I'd done different types of training for this one. And, you know, I had done the Connemara 100 before in 20 hours, 37 minutes is my my PB. Um, but this one was kind of different. I, you know, other, other goals and other things that were going on. Um, mile 10. Imagine doing training for this thing. Like I was in the gym for a year. I had, you know, trained really, really hard. This was my goal for a long, long time. And you get to mile 10 and I was in bits and I just couldn't understand. My legs were 
just not working basically I was sore I was in pain and I was just and with this event you have to have a crew car behind you so they're they're driving behind you the whole time God I love them you know for <laughs> going the five miles an hour through Connemara but anyway I'm so, waiting to be called up after exactly. payback for the race around for Ireland, the race around Ireland. Honest, but, but um, I I was very conscious of my crew and the reason I was so conscious of them is because they had travelled a long way to help me and we had stayed out and we had done all the shopping and we had all our, all our kit and it, you know it's quite complicated to prepare for something like this and I um, I was very nervous that we were going to actually um, I was going to pull out and how was I going to tell them that I was going to pull out particularly around mile 28 I don't know exactly where mm. we met but particularly around mile 28 I went through a, a cruise stop and I was coming up to that cruise stop and I was saying how do I tell them I'm pulling I'm, I'm pulling out I just was feeling absolutely awful and my crew were really, really experienced. And my partner, Angela, was there as well. She's really, really experienced crew. And it never, the thought never crossed my mind that I was going to pull out of mile 28 when I actually got there. Everything went. They just sorted me out, got me food, got me on the road, got me a change of clothes. You know, there was no question. And I just kept going again. So I think when you met me, I was probably in a really bad place coming into it. And then going away from it, I was probably in another zone trying to get out of it. And I was running I was actually running at that stage I got myself back back on the road and running 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 pretty well so there's like on a race like that there's so many things going on people said to me like I, I do these 24 hours running around the track and they said like a 400 metre track for, for 100 miles or 24 hours how do you do that does that get really really boring but there's so many things going on you know your nutrition how am I feeling what am I going to have at the next stop how are my crew doing you know my crew ask me questions and nutrition hydration it's just it's it's endless. There's no, there's no time. Like if you if you go out and you run a half marathon, you're, you're running 13 miles and that's you have two hours you don't think about anything. Whereas when you're doing a 100 miler, you're constantly thinking about how am I doing, what, you know, what's my strategy and they're writing notes every 50 minutes because you're not preparing for the next hour, you're preparing for the next 10 hours. So you're constantly fueling the body, constantly, you know, making sure hydration's right. Sugar's going up, sugar's going down, you know, Oh, it's, it's 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 unbelievable the amount of things that you have to think about. Um, so th- I think that's probably what was going on in my head when when um, I met you. And then with an event like that, you know, for me, it's going to go on for twenty twenty four hours. Um, some people will do that, like my my buddy Mick Rice, fourteen and a half hours for for hundred miles is like ridiculous. But for me, I have to start thinking about right. I'm getting into the night here as well, and running through the dark, and uh, you know the head torch and the cold temperatures changing. So, like your your clothing strategy, you know, you can see what I'm you, saying. There's you forget so about much. all those things that There's when so you're much. doing so the, the ultra stuff. Yeah. Um, I know you're trying to take part in the race again yeah. this year. Um, what are the goals for 2019 for the race? Well, I've I've done, I've already done two 100 mile efforts. We'll call them. Um, one in Helsinki on a 24-hour indoor and one in Limerick with the Marathon Club Ireland 24-hour event um, there in April. So I have two 100-milers in me. So I have, I have uh, I suppose I have a bit of endurance training done. For, for the, bad water, uh, is it? No, for, 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 for <laughs> August. Qualify, yeah. for, no, for August for um, the Connemara 100 again because last year, despite the demons that you witnessed, I think it was the first time that I ever ran an ultra where I got everything right and again that's down to my experience crew the Guthrie's um, Catherine and Lindsay Guthrie were helping and Vincent and, and Angela they were fantastic people they were just knew what to do and knew how to get me to eat because I would always have a problem a very simple problem that I would have when you're doing an ultra is I kind of get a little bit cocky and think that well I can run 26 miles on any given day 
and I don't really need anything to get me through it. I don't really need much water or whatever. So when I go into an ultra, a big long event like that, I go into it with that mentality. So I said, well, I don't really need any support for 26, 30 miles because I'll get through it fine. And I made that mistake time and time again. And I, I pulled out of the Connemara 100 two or three times. And the reason being is in the, those early stages, I wasn't preparing for the next 50 miles. You know, I, I was I was thinking in the now and I wasn't planning for the future. So when my crew last August got everything right, got all my tr- nutrition right, got all my hydration right, um, I had an absolutely fantastic time. I loved it. Loved every minute of that race. Um, and it was the first ultra that I truly, truly enjoyed. So I want to go back. I want to enjoy it, but I want to do a bit faster. I want to break 20 hours. And that's the goal for August. So so that would be an absolute PB then if you did 20 yeah. hours. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I can do it because... I've changed the way my training. I've bulked up a bit in the gym. I used to be a... People still think I'm thin, but I'm actually not. <laughs> I'm actually 13 stone now, um, which I suppose is light enough. But I, when I started off running, I was 10 and a half stone. So, you know, the changes, the physical changes in me have been fairly dramatic, although gradual, but dramatic. Um, I've been in the gym for the last two years, and I think the two years are going to culminate now in August when... I'll start back running now next week, try and up my mileage 70, 80, 90, 100 miles a week, um, back off for a week, do another 100 mile a week, and then I should be ready to race in, in, in August, hoping to break the 20 hours. Now, anything can happen on that day. You know, we could have horrific weather like we have had or sometimes. Or a heat wave. Or you could have a heat wave. And like all those things are, there's extra challenges that are thrown at you. You know, we go out to the wilds of Connemara and people say, oh, how do you cope with the hills out there? And like when you spread that course out over 100 miles you don't notice the hills you know how do you cope with the weather well when you spread out the weather over 24 hours you don't kind of notice the weather you know what I mean there's there's uh, there's kind of weird psychological tricks that come in, in into play on these things and uh, that's we'd, we'd be using every single tool that we have in the toolbox to uh, to get us in under the 20, 20 hours which and I, I know you mentioned um, Angela there as well because she has done her very first uh, was it a 5k or a 10k she did recently as well and she's always the one that used to say oh raise the runner I just carry the gear yeah well Angela's wearing the gear now and, and, and out running as well and I was really pleased to be able to to see her through her first proper run of a 5k where she actually she actually ran 5 kilometers. and I was really proud of that um, and like you know her journey will come on as well I, I can see you know it's 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 lovely to be able to see that, and I suppose look go back to event directing and you know all the rest that I'm involved in the Connemara Marathon. We talked about seeing people at the finish line. There's a huge amount of um, satisfaction as an uh, as an organizer that I created all this, and I've given this moment to this person, and you know seeing Angela coming on now and and her starting to run as well, and she hates running absolutely hates it but she'll, she'll enjoy the benefits and she'll enjoy the goals that, that, that we'll be setting uh, uh, as the months go by um, ahead and there's just something really really lovely about sharing all that and I, I, I like to I like to see the reaction at pe- people's faces at the finish line I paced the Dublin Marathon one year as well paced four hours for the Dublin Marathon and like that's so satisfying somebody said to me one time like why would you bother giving up your race for these random people it's not about that it's about the joy that you see around you and I'm not one of these people oh you have to give back and don't mind all that you know, don't mind all that crack. I'm about I get such joy in seeing the, 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 the expression on people's faces as they're coming up to the finish line and they're achieving their goal it's no matter what time it is it's a fantastic thing to witness 
it's a very special journey to be on. You know, it's like being it's like for me being on the start or the finish line of a of a race. You get to have the privilege of being a small part of that journey. And it does actually bring you a lot of joy. I know I say hashtag I love my job a lot, but I genuinely do love the opportunity that you get to to be part of that small journey because you're the friendly face at the finish line or the start line or there is a huge amount of emotion because you're after achieving something that you've set out for months to train for and it's been a goal you've achieved it you've hopefully done a time better than you expected um and and there's a lot more people doing it now Ray so like you know the running boom in Ireland has been fantastic running and endurance events you know where do you see all of this going over the next few years I mean it's come through we've come through the recession it was nice and easy go buy yourself a pair of runners if you couldn't get a bike or get your wetsuit or any of that kind of stuff that you needed for other sports we were able to get our runners get the clothes we needed and get out and run but where do you see it all kind of going now I mean you've had a couple of trailblazing moments is what I'll call them and inspired moments for some of the events that you've set up but where, where are we going to go next? Well if, I suppose if you look back and you go back to the early 2000s again there was very little going on in the running scene you know go back to go back to the 60s, 70s, 80s the only running scene really were the elites you know and if you couldn't keep up with the elites there was no point in running and then this big city marathon thing happened the phenomenons with the London Marathon New York Marathon and, other, and that opened you know this that it was acceptable for regular people to be able to run alongside in the same race as the elites and that it was absolutely fine and and the the bar was dropped to allow everybody to compete, and that that was that was the thing, and that's what created the boom and running boom. That people didn't mind that it was taking six seven hours to do a marathon, or you know four four hours to do a half marathon. Or it didn't matter. They were getting a medal, and they were getting the same clap on the back, and there was the same people at the finish line, and there was the same you know they were getting the same thing as the elites, and that was I think that was the crux for the for the running boom. And look, running booms ebb and flow and. Uh, valleys, troughs, you know, highs, lows and, and so it will always be. I think really what's happening in Ireland is very, very interesting in the way that, again, I'll say it again with Operation Transformation, Frank Greeley, all these um, run, run a mile a day, all those initiatives are all feeding into the kids and the communities. And like, just think of the dramatic effect that will have on running sports, fitness, for years and years and years and generations to come. We didn't have that in the 80s. You know, we had we had athletics clubs that would teach you how to run fast. And if you couldn't run fast, there's no much point in you coming to training anymore, is there? Whereas you see all these initiatives, it's, 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 it's all about participation, about participation really, involvement and just getting people involved. I, I would be really, really, I'm really happy to see this happening. Number one, um, I sound like a politician now, but... <laughs> but uh, I am really, really happy to see it happening because it's about time that everybody on a starting line got the same recognition. And, um, you know, I, I think this is going to this is going to have ripple effects for years and years and years to come and hats off to them. And Athletics Ireland, all those all those bodies, they're, they're doing a phenomenal job at participation events. Yeah, it is. It is great to see the, the numbers growing. And there is been and there has been a huge increase in the number of um, men and women taking up the sport. Even if you look at um, some of the triathlon events now having um, the junior races, you have a lot of races now that will put on a junior event and it's it's about participating or the families will do it together. So you'll have things like a family mixed relay or you'll have different events where the child can actually emulate the parent by being involved in the same event. And I think that's that's massive as well in terms of um, encouraging I, I think, more people to get involved. I think what happened to me actually you know, I was I was a bit of a runner when I was a kid, but you know, I when I was sixteen, I decided that women and 
nightclubs were a bit more interesting than training grounds and you know um, smelly gear and it was just I, I just changed my life when I was 16 for the worse and dropped all sport I used to play hurling and, and all those sort of things and I dropped all sport but then when I went back to running when I was 30 one of the, the kind of things that I thought was you know if I'm not really if I'm not really good at running but I like running well then probably the only sport I can do is a marathon because you don't really have to be very good at running to do a marathon do you? Well, I think it depends on what your goal is. If exactly. you're going to go exactly. to, so, so you can set the parameters yourself yeah. to what your level of a goal is, and I think that's a very valid point. That's that's the beauty of the marathon, and that like again, we'll say it time and time again. You know, the people standing at the finish line for a seven-hour marathon, and you see them, you see them in Dublin marathon even, and they they come on up the road and they're getting claps and say, you know, that's the way it should be, and, and that, I'm all for that. And it's because I was that soldier. I was the the five and a half hour guy. You know, my my worst marathon. I think my worst marathon was six and a half hours, but albeit up in the Alps, but it was still six and a half hours. So. And Ray, just before we, we come towards the end of the show here, I just want to ask, what was the best piece of training or running advice that you ever received over the last oh, 18 years? Well, you know what? There was, there, was a few, there was a few little nuggets every now and again and a few very funny quotes as well that you pick up along the way. But I think, um, I think the best piece of running advice, and I, because I, I struggled with pace when I started, and like I couldn't do my very first mile, I couldn't run it. As I said earlier, I know if I was given this piece of advice, I would finish my very first mile, and it was simple that if you can't talk, you're running too fast, and it's a simple, simple, simple thing. So people think that you have to run, and you have to run faster than the walking walking pace. You don't. It's the motion of running, and if you start off really, really slow and you can ha- talk and have a conversation, then that's your pace setter. That's that, that, that to me was the crucial piece of advice for starting out. Um, everything else depends on your physique and your goals and your bits and pieces. You know, we talked about whether you have, I have a personal trainer in the gym because I wouldn't bother going to the gym if I didn't have an appointment with a personal trainer. Um, but, you know, that, that works for me. Trainers, personal trainers, or, you know, coaches and all that. It depends on what your, what your thing is. But starting out, that was the best piece of advice. And um, I think one of my funniest, one of the funniest ultra quotes that I ever got, or somebody said to me is, um, he was going really, really well one day in an ultra. And he said he felt that he was passing rocks and trees as if they were standing still. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, you know, that that again feeds into that thing that, you know, if, it's not about speed. You're, look, we're never going to win this thing, you know. Very, very few people win very, very few races. So, you know, just kick back, enjoy it. Set your goal, set your time and, and, and race yourself, you know. Very good advice. And speaking of a goal, so you've run two 100 milers already this year Connemara will be the third dare I ask are the qualifications for Badwater still the same you have to complete three 100 milers in a year Um, well they say look there's no there's no definite um, qualification for Badwater I'd like to see myself as three 100 milers in a year they say that there's no specific criteria but you have to have run three 100 milers I think if I go to them with three in a year they might sit up and listen um, only 100 people are allowed on the starting line, so that's why the, the criteria is fairly tight. And look, it's been a it's been a personal goal of mine to run three 100 miles in a year. I have two in the bag by April, so I think I think we're safe. <laughs> okay, and we'll watch this space and see what happens with Badwater. And then Ray, our final question um, for the podcast: Who inspires you in sport, in running, in sport in general? Well, there's so many. I mean, I could start rattling off the. Sonia. We don't have time now for a whole essay. Yeah, we could start rattling off the Sonia Sullivans of this <laughs> world, and you know, um, I met Frank Shorter, the 
Olympic, Olympic. The, the Olympic gold medals. You know, these are all heroes. Um, but there is one guy that really, really, he's a standout guy and he's going to be a standout guy in 2020 and you're going to hear an awful lot more of him. Um, a, a very good friend of mine, Dave Brady. He, when I met him, uh, when we started off with these small marathons back in 2005, 2006, Dave had run 70 or 80 marathons and I thought this man was, you know, some sort of a god because he'd done more marathons than I had heard any human being could do. Um, and Dave pushed on, he pushed on through his 100th and then went through his 200th, 300th, 400th. Um, Dave Brady is going to run his 1,000th marathon in the Dublin Marathon 2020 and I'm going to be with him. And uh, one of the little initiatives that I'm going to I'm going to actually start to promote pretty soon is by the time the Dublin Marathon 2020 comes around, I'll be probably be on 190. And every time I tell somebody the amount of marathons I've done, it's always a look of shock and, and horror on their face. But I said, yeah, but there's always some other story. You know, I've done 190. Yeah, but there's this guy, right? Um, and you'd often hear those stories. Um, and for me, from, from now to October 2020, the yeah, but there's this guy. His name's going to be Dave Brady. And what I'm going to do is put on my T-shirt. I've done 190 or whatever the figure is. I've done 190. Yeah, but Dave Brady uh, is on a thousand. And I'm going to set up a, a charitable um, thing based around that. And there's another tiny little story with that as well. Dave Brady is an inspirational guy, but a lot of people have a huge amount of respect for him. And when I think back to um, um, a moment in 2006 at the Berlin Marathon, I was trying to break 3.30 for the first time. It was a big emotional day for me and I was there. I, I, I did that. Um, but at, just before the start, um, about 20 minutes before the start, we were in this area and it was fairly quiet. Next thing, all the elites, all the Kenyans and the and the Ethiopians passed by and they were in this V formation. And at the very front, there was one runner and I didn't really understand what was going on. But I found out afterwards that the, the runner out front was actually Haile Geber Selassie. And like everybody knows that name, he is probably the greatest distance runner of all time. And somebody explained to me that all the elites have such respect for Haile Gebre Selassie at the time that nobody would pass him even in the warm-up. So I have so much respect for Dave Brady when he's doing his 1000th in Dublin in October 2020. I'm going to run with him, but I'm not going to pass him. I'm going to run behind him and I'm going to try and encourage as many people to do the same. And let's raise a few quid for charity and run behind in some sort of form formation by this amazing, inspirational guy, most uh, gracious guy that you meet humble uh, Dave Brady well I think that's a lovely story and I've met Dave Brady so many times on the start and finish lines of um, races over the years and I think it'll be a great tribute to completing 1000 marathons so um, best of luck to Dave with all the training and to you Ray with everything um, thank you so much for joining us on the show today and for sharing a lot of um, interesting insights uh, for us on Try Talking Sport here this evening um, huge thank you as well to Gola Bay FM for the use of the studio to record this episode I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks again for listening to the podcast. For more info and to subscribe for free, go to www.trytalkingsport.com. <laughs>